0: Welcome to the Center Ranch Church weekly podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Families are important. The family structure matters. It matters to God. As you read through God's word, I mean, there is so much that he has to say about the way that a family is established, the way that it's structured, the way you go about forming a family, the covenant between a husband and wife, the sequence of of establishing a family. God's word says all kinds of things about how a family is to run, the role of a mom, the role of a dad, the role of of a child, how everyone plays a part, what the atmosphere should be like. A, A family, a family is like, supposed to be like an epicenter of society the way that it's governed, the way that children are trained and raised and learn how to behave, learn how to function in life. That's the responsibility of a mom and a dad as they lead lead their family. Family is important. You know, even when it comes to God's kingdom, the way that God has established his kingdom, he could set it up any way that he wants. He runs it. It is a family. He's God the Father. There's God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We're adopted into his family. We, we don't just become... Enlisted soldiers, there's an element of that, but ultimately we're brought in with a spirit of adoption. We're sons and daughters, and He becomes our Father, right? So God has set up the kingdom of God to function as a family. We are a church family, part of the family of God. Family's important, and you can see that family comes under a- attack in our culture, in our society, and that's not just the way the culture's going and things, you know, are different than they used to be. That's how it happens over time. It's strategic by the enemy, strategic to try to destroy the family and redefine the family, that there's diff- marriage can be anything, and fam- we just, you know, redefine whatever we want. It's, it's strategic because God has set up the family to run a specific way, there's a specific structure, and that is primarily where discipleship is supposed to take place. So you heard from some of our kids' ministry staff, we wanna serve your family. We wanna help your kids grow strong in the Lord, but really, ultimately, we, we play sort of a small role. We just wanna come alongside moms and dads and families and help you do what God has called you to do as a mom, as a dad, as an aunt, as an uncle, as a son, as a daughter. Families are important. So I, I want to pray together again, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, some things God's word has to say about how a family is supposed to, to function. Father, we love you. Thank you that we get to be a part of your family. God, there's nobody like you. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, bring revelation and understanding, spirit of wisdom and enlightenment, Father, I pray you bless each one of us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear, hearts that are like good soil today. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, your family has an enormous effect on you. And we have different stories, different backgrounds of what our house was like growing up, what your household was like. Some of us grew up with a mom and a dad. Some of us maybe bounced back and forth between a mom and a dad. Some of us were maybe raised by grandparents. Some people were raised in foster homes. But Whatever that family structure was like, whatever it looked like, it has had a a tremendous impact on you. There are things that you've got that are good. You've absorbed some things that maybe aren't so good, some things that are bad, some things we gain from our family that are just kind of random and weird. The way that you're family impacts you. There might be things that you do, a way that you think, a way that you function, just kind of a strange thing. I I guess I just picked it up in my family. It was just a part of growing. I don't know. I guess that's the way my parents did it, right? We all have those things. For me, one thing, I've got a weird thing about orange juice. Growing up, somewhere along the line, I got the idea that orange juice was like special. You don't, you don't just have a glass of orange juice. I, I, I don't know if it, it wasn't something my parents emphasized, but somewhere along the line, I picked it up. I don't know if it was the tiny little glasses that orange juice is served in that I thought this is like, you know, this is a special commodity, but it still affects me. When we get orange juice at our house, typically it'll end up going bad in the refrigerator because I've got this conserve. Th- I, it, I'm not that way with other things. I don't, I don't know. It's just weird. A conserve, I think we've got orange juice in our fridge right now that is, Probably alcoholic at this point. It's, it's been in there. It's, because we'll get it, and then I've got this, like, hey, we, my kids will have orange juice. Like, hey, take it easy on the orange juice, okay? What, you think oranges grow on trees? Just, just like this conserve. I don't, I don't know what it is. I picked it up somewhere as a kid that will get it, and I'll, I'll, I'll own the orange juice, but I want to save it. I want to conserve it. And it will almost always end up going bad, and we have to, we have to throw it away. But our environment that we grow up in, it, it affects us in all kinds of different ways. Things that you gain. Some people gain a, a strong self of confidence. Some people gain a bunch of insecurities. There's things that you learn about beliefs and the way, the way that you think, the way that you function. Some people are, have so many great memories. Some people have a lot of painful memories. Some people have a, a lot of hurts. You, whatever your environment was like, it has had a tremendous impact on you. And some people, their upbringing is like a hurdle that they have to overcome to succeed in life. And other people, their upbringing is like a foundation that sets them up for success. And as we're leading our families, we're creating an environment. We're creating a culture within the home. We're we're creating... uh, that, that household, leading our households, and we're creating either an environment that will be like a, a lid for our children, something that they're gonna have to break through if they ever want to, to go beyond where we are as a family, or a foundation that they can build on and take things, take things to the next level. So the way that we lead our family is important. You're having an impact on your kids. It's just whether you're having an intentional, purposeful Meaningful impact, or if you're just sort of leaving things to chance. Let, let me read to you from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. He, he won't depart from what? He won't depart from the way that he was. Trained. That's what it says. He won't. He won't depart from that. My mom loves to watch balloons float away into the sky. You know, we get a helium balloon, you let go of it, and it just kind of disappears. My mom. My mom loves that. So, what makes children cry when the balloon slips through their hand? They cry because their balloon floats away. My, my mom. She, She loves that. So that gives you a little insight into my my upbringing. What makes kids cry, my mom delights in that sort of thing. But there's something about her. She loves watching balloons float away. So I remember when I was in like second or third grade, for my mom's birthday, my dad rented a great big helium tank and bought a bunch of balloons. And so we spent hours just filling up balloons and letting them go and just watching. That's what she likes to do, watch them float away. You see it? Yeah, I think I can still see it. No, uh, uh, I lost it. Yeah, I lost it too. Okay, let's fill up another one. Just hours, just filling up balloons, watching them float away. Well, we got to the point where we were out of balloons, but we still had a bunch of helium left. So then you start thinking, well, what else can we put helium in? You're just trying to, what, what, what'll float? You're filling up sandwich bags. We, we filled up garbage bags, huge trash bags, and watching them, watching them float away into the sky. Just anything we could put helium in, we were putting, putting helium in. We were just launching stuff for the sake of launching it because it was, it was fun just to watch things float away, watch it go up into the sky. Now, you can launch stuff like that with really no purpose other than it's fun to do, but you can, you can also launch things with a sense of purpose and knowing where it's going to arrive when they launch missiles or rockets, when when planes take off, when uh, spacecraft takes off, when weather balloons—all those kinds of things—they're launching them. But they're launching them. With, they've they've already done the calculations. They know where they want it to land, where they want it to arrive. They know when they want it to arrive there. There's a sense of purpose. So you can launch stuff just for the joy of launching it or you can launch it having thought through where I want this thing to end up. And if you launch something with no sense of purpose, it's still going to land somewhere. We were sending up garbage bags up into the sky with really no thought other than just can you believe there's a garbage bag flying through the through the sky? It's still going to land somewhere, right? Those garbage bags came down somewhere on someone's windshield while they're driving down the, you know, the highway. So, They landed somewhere. We just gave no thought to it, but it doesn't mean that they didn't land somewhere. So when you're raising your kids, when you launch them into life, this verse is saying, This verse tells us that children end up somewhere. Where do they end up? They end up in the direction that their their training set them for. And so you can train them up in the way they should go. You can launch them with a sense of purpose. Here's the kind of man I'm raising. Here's the kind of woman of God that I'm raising. I've got a destination in mind. I've got a a way of living in mind. I'm being purposeful and intentional. Or you can leave it to chance and just launch them willy nilly, just because it's fun to have kids and have a family and then. You just send them on their way, and they'll end up somewhere, but it's just gonna be left to, to chance. And that your children are far too important to leave it to chance, and you have too much responsibility on you as a mom, as a dad, as a grandmother, as a grandfather, just to take your role and say, you know, I'm just gonna do whatever and see how things turn out. We've got to handle it with intentionality. Train up your child, not, not just train them up, train them up in the way that they should go. And when they're old. They won't depart from it. You can determine what kind of life they have later on by the way that that you're training them up. Train up a child. If you were here Thursday night as we concluded VBS, I talked a little bit about this. When it says train up a child, it's letting us know that there is a unique window of time that we have to make maximum impact on a person's life. Train up a child. Most of us in this room right now are adults. We used to be children, but at some point in time, we became adults. And we could argue about when that point in time is. Or is it when someone turns 12? Is it when they turn 16? Is it when they turn 18? Is it when they turn 21? For men, is it when we turn 35? Is it when we turn 30, 38? So we could, we could have a discussion about that. We might disagree at what point it is, but all of us would probably agree there is a point in time where you stop being a child. So that means when he says train up a child in the way it should go, that there is a a limited season that somebody is considered a child. A limited time frame where you can mold them and shape them. Obviously, we can have impact on people no matter what age that they are. But childhood is such a special gift we just absorb information, absorb mindsets, so absorb a worldview. I listened to a study just this past week, talked about children developing a worldview. It says between 18 months, so about a year and a half, until a person is 13 years old. That's the time frame where people's worldview is formed. So the way that they see life, the way they process information, the way they understand things, Their lens that they view the world from is formed by the time they are 13. Those are critical years to be developing a child. So you can't just say, I'll I'll do it later. I'll get serious about discipling my son, discipling my daughter, pouring into my grandchildren, whatever the situation is, I'll do it later. Listen, it's a limited opportunity that you have to form them and mold them and shape them, to train them up in the way they should go. Train up a child while they're a child in the way they should go. By by age 13, their worldview is pretty well set. I've I've heard this attributed to different people. You can look it up. It, It seems like everywhere I looked, it was saying somebody else originated it. But there's a saying that says, give me a child until they are seven and I'll have them for life. And the meaning of it is, if you can take a child and just pour into them, teach them how to think, develop their minds up until the time that they're seven, then then you've got them for life. You've already determined what kind of person they're they're going to be by and large because those years are so important. Train up a child in the way they should go. The enemy knows this. The enemy goes after children, very intentional. Even groups uh, uh, that are into terrorism and those kinds of things, they'll target, they don't target 45-year-old men. They target children. They can develop the way that they think and the way they process information. The Bible is letting us know as believers that we're supposed to take advantage and be good stewards of that that opportunity to train up children in the way they should go. So as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, whatever your role is, what messages, what beliefs, what attitudes are you pouring into your kids? It's something. Just Is it intentional or unintentional? is it going to be like a lid that your your kids have to overcome that they have to break through or is it going to be a foundation that they can launch from what are you pouring into your children kids absorb what is consistent what are the consistent messages what are the things that are consistently being said the consistent attitudes in your household that they are absorbing Years down the road, when your kids are adults and they're asked to reflect back, what are some of the consistent things? When you think of your dad, when you think of your mom, when you think of the the kinds of things that were consistent in your household, what will they say? Well, I I mean, man, what was consistent? I, I know my dad hated work. I know he said that a lot. He hated his job. I know that. I know he loved sports. He was always talking about sports. That was consistent. He loved college football. I know my mom hated grandma. She would talk about that a a lot. (laughs) What what kind of attitudes? They're picking up on it. Kids absorb what is consistent. What's consistently being conveyed? What's the atmosphere that you're consistently developing or or emanating in your household? Kids will absorb what is consistent. Consistent. I'm, I'm not perfect at this by any means. And I, I'm not as consistent as I should be. But I try to be intentional with our girls. You know, we, we usually will pray together at night. When we pray all together and we're putting them to bed, I'll have them repeat after me some things, just some, some confessions that we have. And some of them are like pretty st- like standard, the, the staple confessions that we always do. And sometimes just whatever's on my mind or whatever's on my heart. And so I'll, I'll have them repeat after me. I have no insecurity. I have no insecurity. I see myself the way God sees me. They they repeat after me. I have no fear. I have no anxiety. I trust the Lord with all my heart. We'll go through all these different confessions. But there will always be a little section that we get to where I'll just start. I want them to talk about who they are. I'm special. I'm special. I'm anointed. I'm gifted. I'm talented. People like me. I like people. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I want them to be saying, I want that to be something consistent in their, in their minds. That I I'm, want I'm to program, teach them how to think about themselves, how God sees them, who He's designed them to be. I want it to be consistent, not just something every once in a while. I think Dad once or twice told me I was special. I want to say it, have them repeat it. So we'll do that almost every night. We miss a lot of nights, but try to be consistent with it. I'm special. I'm anointed. I'm gifted. I'm talented. I can do the things God called me called me to do. People like being around me. And Then we always end it, and I'm so good looking. And then, end it. And, then and then we pray. That's the routine that we have. What messages are consistent? What are you trying to to? Teach your kids how to think. What are you getting into them? Because you're supposed to train them up in the way they should go. Where they end up down the road is being determined by what's happening as they are a child in the years that you have them living in your household. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Children. Now, when you think of inheritance, a lot of times we think of of money. You can think of property. That's part of what an inheritance is. You can think of family heirlooms. But it's not limited to that. Really, it's talking about legacy. What a good man leaves that goes to his children and even to his grandchildren. That's why I like the amplified version. You can throw that back up there. Because it helps us to think outside of just... Uh, you know, money or property. It says this, a good man leaves an inheritance of moral stability and goodness to his children's children. That, that means if I do this right, if I'm a good man, if I'm leading my family well, that I'm having an impact not only on my kids, I'm having an impact that's going to They'll feel it, but their kids, my grandchildren, will be feeling the results of, of how I'm handling my responsibilities now. A good man leaves an inheritance, leaves a legacy, leaves something that'll be a benefit, not just to his kids. It'll reach clear down to his grandkids and has potential to go even beyond that. A good man is doing that. My, my family, my mom and dad, served the Lord. They still serve the Lord, but growing up, by the time I was born, they, they, they were serving the Lord. My dad was a pastor when I was born. So they led our family well. My mom and dad led us to church. We moved all the time. We were constantly moving. But we knew whenever we landed in a new community, one of the first things we were gonna do, first Sunday, we we're gonna start looking for a church. They prioritized church, prioritized the kingdom of God, led us in devotions, led, led us in confessions like I, I now lead my kids. They, they were instilling something in me that my kids now benefit it's part of the inheritance that, that my parents were pouring into. To, into me. My kids are benefiting from that now. Their children's children are feeling the benefit of the way that they led me. So my, my parents didn't really leave us much of, uh, in the way of financial inheritance, at least not that I know of. I'm still holding out a little bit of hope, right? But they left us something and are are leaving us something even more valuable than just money or or possessions or material things. When I was growing up, when I'm in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, my dad was working on the inheritance that I would receive. He was working on his legacy when he would lead us in devotions and, and lead us in prayer and those kinds of things. He was building his legacy, building the inheritance that now I get to enjoy. I get to see my kids benefit from it. When he was leading and training us up in the way that we should go, He was creating an inheritance that I received, and my kids are benefiting from it now. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Uh, Not not just cash, something that is going to impact them. The way you are living is going to impact not just your kids, but your kids' kids as well. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We'll, we'll read those next couple of verses, but this is important because it says, obey your parents in the Lord. I know not everyone in here right now has kids or maybe your kids are already grown. We're talking about that window of time when you have small kids. Some, some people, that, that's already come and gone or you, you, you don't have kids, you never wanna have kids, whatever the situation is, it's talking about obey your parents in the Lord. So you're not limited to just biological children. You have spiritual children. You can be a spiritual mother, a spiritual father. You should be a spiritual mother, a spiritual father. People that you're pulling around side, you're pouring into them. You're teaching them, you're training them. So if you don't have kids, I don't want you to just kind of tune out. This is talking to all of us. So it's talking biological children and spiritual children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So a couple of quick things from this passage. One, kids have a role. Children have a role in the atmosphere that happens in a household. Their their role is to honor their father and mother. Not to argue with them. When it comes to kids, it's not always about right and wrong. It's about parent and child. And the parent is to honor the child. And the benefit is their life is going to go well. They're going to have a long, good life. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke them to anger. Some translations say to exasperate. What's that mean? Don't do things. They're going to frustrate your kids. Don't do things that are going to exasperate your children. What exasperates? What causes anger? What frustrates? When you see someone who is saying one thing but doing something different, that's frustrating, right? Someone that you're supposed to be subject to, but you can see that they're a phony or they're a hypocrite. They're inconsistent. that, that, That frustrates So as parents, we don't just want to tell our kids things. We need to set the example and model it before them. Don't tell them one thing and then live a different way. Hey, you should be pure in your relationships, but you're doing God knows what and and not giving a good example. You shouldn't shouldn't get drunk, but then you're getting drunk. Whatever it is, don't give them reason to be frustrated with the way that you say one thing and do another thing. Don't provoke them to wrath. Don't provoke them to anger. Another way you provoke to anger is by not being trustworthy or dependable. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Follow through on your commitments. Be trustworthy and dependable. And it's frustrating, it's exasperating, it's reason to be angry when you see someone who tells you one thing and they, they don't follow through on. It's also known as, as lying, and it causes people to be angry. Don't do that to your kids, dads. If you tell your kids you're gonna do something, do it. Be dependable and trustworthy. It's frustrating to see someone who's supposed to be mature, but they are immature. Correct? Be mature in the way you handle your responsibilities, the way you handle your finances, the way you handle your relationships. Give them a a model that they can aspire to and not think, I don't want to end up like that. That's what he's talking about. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't frustrate them. Don't exasperate your children. And then he says, Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. I want to look very briefly at the relationship between Moses and Joshua for a couple of reasons. One, we can see an example of what we're talking about in their relationship, but it's also, it's not a biological, they weren't father-son, so it's an example of a, a spiritual son and a spiritual father. Most of you are familiar with the story of Moses He was an amazing man of God. God used him to do incredible things. Appeared to him in a burning bush. Just all kinds of amazing stories. Throws the staff down, becomes a serpent, goes back to Pharaoh. The plagues leading them out of Egypt. The the Red Sea parts. I mean, all kinds of amazing stories. But Moses died before he led the children into the promised land. He died before they did that. But Something that Moses did when he was alive allowed his ministry, allowed his legacy, allowed his impact to continue to be felt. Even after he was dead, people still got to enjoy his ministry because of the way that he poured into Joshua. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 31, starting in verse 7. Before Moses died, he said this. It says, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong. And of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you, he will be with you, he will not leave you nor forsake you, do not fear nor be dismayed. So before Moses dies, he calls Joshua and says, Joshua, you're going to be the one that leads God's people into the promised land where I wasn't able to take them. You're going to take them. God's going to be with you. He's going to go before you, be strong, be of good courage. This was an intense moment. This was a significant moment of him casting vision and really prophesying over Joshua. And he was right what was going to happen in Joshua's life. He He wasn't training Joshua up to be a repeat of himself. He was doing what we said earlier, giving him a foundation that he could take things further than he was able to take them, that he would be able to launch higher than what Moses had achieved. He wasn't just saying, hey, listen, I've been able to lead these people around for 40 years in the wilderness, and I believe you can do the same thing. That's not good fathering. That's not good parenting. He was admonishing, training him up that he could go even further, and that's the kind of parents, moms and dads, spiritual moms and dads that we wanna be as well. That's what it looked like when Moses handed things off to Joshua but when we read about the end of Joshua's life, we, we see something different. Let me read to you from Judges chapter, Judges, Judges chapter two, verse eight. It says, "Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was one hundred and ten years old, and they buried him within the borders of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the." Mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. When Joshua died, it says another generation was there, but they didn't know the Lord, they didn't know the works of the Lord. They didn't know the, the significant things that God had done for the Lord. Now, when Moses handed things off to Joshua, he wasn't just saying, you know what you should do? You should take things further. You should do it what I wasn't able to do. It wasn't just as easy as saying something. He had lived a life alongside Joshua that had prepared him for this moment. He'd been building a foundation, and when they got to this point, he was ready to launch with purpose and launch to be successful. So there's a few things we can learn from the, the relationship between Moses and Joshua. One, Moses spent time with Joshua. They spent time together. There there was quantity time and quality time that they were spending with one another. Moses had Joshua along his side, it seems like all the time. Even times where it's not specifically mentioned, we we can find clues that Joshua was there. When Moses went up onto the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, It doesn't tell us that Joshua went with him, but when they're coming back down and they hear the children of Israel cheering and shouting and they hear the noise when they'd made the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32, it says Joshua said, hey Moses, it sounds like a cry of war down at the camp. Now, how are Moses and Joshua having this conversation? Because when when Moses went up to spend time in the presence of God. He took Joshua with him. They were spending time in the presence of God with one another. So Joshua was there and able to see when they when they encountered challenges like this. Children of Israel have. Build a golden calf. They're worshiping a false god. The different challenges they have faced throughout the the story of the Exodus. Joshua was there to see behind the scenes how this man of God was handling the challenges. How he was going to God in prayer and getting wisdom wisdom from God. You read through the story of Moses. Moses would go and meet with God at the tent of meeting where he would hear God speak and they would commune with one another. You know who was with him when he did that? Joshua was with him. When he would go and spend time with the Lord, he would bring, allow Joshua to come and be with him. Moses' relationship with God wasn't so private and so personal that Joshua wasn't able to get a sneak peek and get a taste of what it looks like for a man to commune with God. He, he was learning. He was being discipled. Not necessarily a sit-down lesson, but just being with him and watching the way that Moses interacted with God. So one of the ways we can disciple our kids is... One, obviously spend time with them, but let them be close enough to us that as we are serving God, as we're communing with God, that they get to be a part of it as well. Spend time together in the presence of God. Being in church together. Create times at home together. Don't just tell your children you should pray and read your your Bible. Let them catch you praying and reading your Bible. Do it together. Do it as a family. Pray out loud so they can hear you. I'm aware when we have times of prayer at our our house and we got worship music, playing and we're spread around the living room and praying. I, I pray out loud. I'm genuinely praying, but I know something else is happening at the same time. I know that my kids can hear me and I'm discipling them. As I'm praying, I'm also teaching them how, how to pray. Spend time in the presence of God together. Don't don't. Obviously, our relationship with the Lord is personal and private in some aspect, but as a parent, be willing to lay down that, that privacy so that you can teach your kids, model to them what it is to be intimate with the Lord. I've told you many times about my dad praying on Saturday mornings and hearing him, hearing him pray. I can remember sometimes the door would be just a little bit ajar, I can remember looking in and seeing my dad on his knees with his face down in a a chair. and I could hear him him pray. I've shared that with you many of times. Obviously, that impacted me. That's a powerful memory in my mind. I wonder if he just happened to leave that door open or if he did it intentionally. So as I'm watching cartoons or playing G.I. Joe or whatever, and I go down the hallway, I would catch a glimpse of him on his face. He was discipling me. He was giving me a model to follow that a real man of God spends time intimate with the Lord, seeks him, cries out. I can remember some of his prayer requests, hearing my dad call out those prayer requests to the Lord, certain names that he was crying out, different ministers that he would be praying for. That that impacted me. I got to see it, not just hear about it, son, you should probably pray from time to time. No, he did it, and I saw it. He modeled that that for me. That's what we see in the life of Moses and Joshua. They they spent time together, spent time in the presence of God together. He didn't just go and report back what it was like. He took them alongside. Let me read you from Exodus chapter 17. You know, one of the things before we read that passage, in some people's mind, is a fear of not being perfect. You know, I would, I would read the Bible with my kids, but what if they ask me something I don't know about? Or what if I, what if I do let them pray with me, and I'm not really entirely sure what, what I'm doing. I don't think I'm doing it perfectly, and I don't want to mess them up. Listen, I'm not sure I'm doing it perfectly. But our job is to, to give them the best example, the, the best that we have. And we're trying to create a foundation. We want them to go further anyway, right? So you're not giving them perfection, you're giving them a foundation to build on and to take things to take things even further. What if Moses knew that he wasn't perfect and he had some anger issues, Says, I'm not gonna allow Joshua to, to get too close to me because I don't know if I'm doing this thing perfectly. He would have cut off what God wanted to do in the next generation because a good man leaves an inheritance that isn't just felt by those close to him, but a generation away. So him being willing to let down his guard, sometimes I get angry, sometimes I say things that I shouldn't say. He was allowing people to see his, his imperfections, but that's how you give somebody a foundation to build upon. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, I'm not responsible to fill your cup, but I am responsible to empty mine. So what he's saying is sometimes you don't want to give somebody something or try to minister to someone or make impact until you feel like you've got it perfect and you've got everything together. Your responsibility isn't to make somebody else complete. Your responsibility is whatever you have to give it to someone else, to pour into other people. That, that's my responsibility. That's your. You might not be a perfect mom, a perfect dad, a great mighty man of God like Moses or someone else we could point to, but you are where you are and you know what you know. Go ahead and take that and give it to your kids impart it to someone. Bring people close enough to you that they can feel what God has done in you. And if you're not willing to do that, why would God trust you with any more anyway? Be faithful with what you have. Pour that into someone else's life and see what God gives you because you've proven yourself to be a good steward. Exodus chapter 17 verse 8 says, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So here's a situation where Moses could have gone out and led this battle himself. Sound man. He could have gone out and led this battle himself, but instead he turns, he turns Joshua loose, right? Right? He turns him loose to go and fight a battle and have an an opportunity to succeed and says, you know what I'm gonna be doing? I'm gonna be up on the mountain. I'm gonna be praying for you. I'm gonna be believing with you. He gave him instruction and then turned him loose. Have times where you turn your kids loose. You give them opportunity to face a challenge. I don't know what turning them loose might look like in your situation. Maybe turning them loose looks like letting them lead in prayer. You're praying at night and say, hey, you know what? Now, Now you pray. Maybe turning them loose looks like now, why don't you lead family devotions next, next week? Maybe turning them loose is allowing them to face an obstacle, to go through a trying time, and instead of handling it for them because you're the mom or the dad, you're just going to instruct them. Here's what I think you should do. Here's how I think you should handle that challenge. And you can know this. Dad's going to, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be believing for you. I, I, I know you can do this. And you're turning them loose, giving them a chance to fail or succeed, putting them in those situations. That's how you develop somebody. That's how you mentor somebody. And some of that happens in a church family, but it primarily happens in a household, within a family unit, within a family structure. Training your children up in the way they should go. And we get to the end of Moses' life. Moses was able to hand things off to Joshua. And his impact continued to be felt. We get to the life of Joshua, the end of his life. There's a generation that didn't even know God. It ended so abruptly. All it takes is one generation to not mentor someone else. What's the difference between Moses and Joshua? Yes, Joshua was a man of God, but we, we would have to make it up to say that he was mentoring and training someone the way that Moses trained him. We know that Moses mentored Joshua, fathered him, brought him up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. He parented him. We'd be making it up to say that Joshua had somebody that he was mentoring and training. So what are you doing as a parent? How are you doing as a parent? What do you want to impart? What do you want that inheritance to look like? What do you want to pour into your children? How strategic, how intentional, how consistent are you being in creating that atmosphere? Kids are absorbing what is consistent. Let let me read one more passage of scripture, and then we'll pray. We're given... A good guideline for how to begin doing this in our households. in Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse six, it says, "And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you you rise up. So the first thing is what? These commands need to be in your heart. Before he gets to teaching them to the children, he says, first they need to be in your heart. So moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, people who want to mentor someone else, want to be a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, the first step is that I get things right in my own heart, that that I'm not just instructing, I'm living it out, I'm modeling what it looks like. A key factor, a key factor in whether kids continue to serve the Lord after they leave their household is what they saw in the life of their parent if they saw a parent developing in their relationship someone who is genuine and developing in their own relationship with the Lord that's a key factor in whether the child will continue to serve Jesus mom and dad don't have to be perfect just want to see that they're developing how are you doing in your own walk with the Lord are you hiding God's word in your heart tell your kids you know you should memorize scripture are you memorizing scripture what are you doing? Are you modeling? Are you doing it? Get it in your own heart. And then he says this in the next verse. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I love that passage because it makes, it makes things so simple. How do you train up your kids? How do you mentor someone? No, one, number one, know God's word. Have a real, genuine intimacy with the Lord. Number two, take God's word, talk about it. It Tells us when and where. When. When you get up, when you lie down. When you get up in the morning, when you get out of bed, and when you go to bed. Talk about the word of God. Where? When you're at home, when you're sitting at home, and when you're on the road. When you're sitting around the house, talk about the word of God. When you're on the road, when you're going to vacation, when you're on the way to the grocery store, when you're, you're shuffling around Walmart, talk about the word of God. Apply it to different situations. Just make it a part of conversation. That's how you train people up. That's how you mentor your kids. The, the statistic that Miss Stacy shared on that video is true. 85%, depending on the study that you see, of people that serve the Lord made a decision when they their children. But there's also statistics that show, again, depending on the study, sometimes 65% on the high end of people who grow up in the church when they leave home stop attending church. There was a study done showed if a parent, if a family will have regular conversations about the Lord, regular conversations about their faith outside of church, the chances of your kids staying faithful and a committed Christian goes up dramatically. It's very simple. It's what God's Word tells us to do. Instead of just coming to church, this is important. This is foundational. But if the only time you talk about the Lord is when you are in church and then your kids see you not, don't mention it again until two weeks later because you skipped the Sunday and then you come back. They're going to see through the hypocrisy. If you want your children to be established and consistent, I want my kids to serve the Lord after they get out of my house. When they, I want to serve them, them to serve the Lord as adults, one of the the greatest things you can do is simply to talk about the Word of God when when you're sitting at home, just like the Bible says. When you're sitting around the house, you see something on TV. What do you think? What's the Bible say about that? Sitting around the dinner table. You've got a memory verse maybe you're talking about as a family. You've got one on the refrigerator. You're just talking about the word of God. That I'm living this. This isn't just a church thing. This is a life thing. I'm I'm committed to Jesus. We're really walking with him. When you're out on the road, when you're at home, in the morning, in the evening, when you're putting your kids to bed, a prime opportunity to pray over them, to speak the word of God into their life. If we'll just do what those simple verses do, studies show that there will be a dramatic increase in the likelihood they're going to serve the Lord all the days of their life. God God has positioned you to be a mom or a dad if you're a mom or you're a dad. God doesn't put anyone into a spot without also giving them the anointing, the wisdom, the power, the ability to succeed in that role. If you're a mom or a dad, it's because God has blessed you with that opportunity to be a mom or a dad. And he didn't just bless you with the opportunity and not equip you with everything you need to be a godly mom, a godly dad, and to train up your children in the way they should go. You have the ability to do it. You have an anointing to do it, whether you're acting on it or not, I I don't know. But God has not put you in a position without also giving you the ability, to succeed in that position. Maybe it hasn't been the case up until this point. I believe we can pray today, and from this point forward, you will be an anointed mother, an anointed father, an anointed grandpa, an anointed grandma, an anointed aunt, an anointed uncle, a spiritual mom, a spiritual dad. You can do that. God has called you to do that. God desires you to make impact that'll be felt in one person's life, and then another generation of people will feel the impact of how you are using your time, how you are using your your influence that's whether you realize it or not that is God's call on your life to make impact in the way that we do it is through family through relationships so I want to pray this morning I want to pray for you fresh anointing the wisdom of God as a mom or a dad people if you don't have children at home people that you should be a mom or a dad to people to pull under your wing and to mentor and train them up just like Moses did to Joshua you're teaching them how to be intimate with God. You're teaching them how to fight battles and come out successful. You're teaching them how to step in a situation with a safety net that I know, I know he's praying for me. This is, I'm intimidated to have this conversation with my coworker, but I talked about it with my spiritual mom and I know she's fighting for me. I know she's praying with me to be able to live with that kind of covering. People need it. People are hungry for it, and you can provide it. Every one of us should have a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad. Every one of us should be a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad. That's what being in the family of God, it's one of the reasons this atmosphere is so important, to build relationships. This is why connect groups are so important, to build relationships, to get around people who know more than you do and let them pour into your life, to get people around you that don't know as much as you do, and you pour into their lives. It's an, it's important for us to function as the family as the family of God. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.